Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarian Podcast. I am Craig, and today we are talking about the Book of Three by Lloyd Alexander. Let's introduce our, our let's introduce our panelists. Over there, uh, he's my own personal Gergi. It's Ryan Bruckman. And Justice Harry Feed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if we gave him Fluter's harp, he, well, he wouldn't be able to be on the show anymore. It's uh, it's Kyle Lemon. I can't carry a tune either way, so it's fine. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. I have uh, done enough um, commutes with you to know that is true. I thought, like, you were going to say spying on me in the shower as I was singing <laughs> or something like that, but commute works yeah i I wanted to stay away from the truth (laughs) so uh, like i said we today we are talking about the book of three this is number the first book number one is what i was going to say in the perdane chronicles or the chronicles of perdane and we're going to get to that naming convention in just a moment um but before we do talk about this book just a reminder go to the legendarium.com the legendarium.com and that'll take you to our website uh which will have links to past episodes so you can check out episodes by author um you can also find the chronological feed that way you can find a link to our discord server where you can join in the conversation the patreon link if you want to support the show it's all there go to thelegendarium.com um and uh yeah make sure you're subscribed if you're a new listener if this series is bringing you in uh then we'd love to have you subscribe and follow us through these five books uh because yeah we are going to do all five these are not difficult books to read (laughs) time-wise or effort-wise, I suppose. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we are definitely planning to do all five. Um, and, uh, yeah, is there any, anything else I'm forgetting before we actually dive into the Book of Three? So, no, okay. I don't think so. So, the Book of Three. The Book of Three is a... Um, it's classified as a high fantasy. It's, I mean, historically speaking, this is what it's generally been thought of as, is a high fantasy by Lloyd Alexander. It was published in 1964, uh, so this is uh, exactly a decade after the uh, Fellowship of the Ring was published. Just to give you, just to give people an idea of where it sits in the chronology of um, the fantasy genre. So this is ten years after the Lord of the Rings uh, began coming out in England. Uh, the American author Lloyd Alexander publishes uh, this particular book, um, and it was very well received at the time. Uh, no awards for Perdane until we get to the last book. Uh, but we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Um, anyway, so it follows the adventures of Taryn, the assistant pig keeper who lives in Caradal Ben. Um, and he, with with only a couple other dudes for company, an old man and a, a, a farmer. Blacksmith type Blacksmith, guy. whatever. Um, and he is thrust unwillingly into an adventure when the pig runs away. The oracular pig, Henwin, who can somehow tell the future. And this is going to be very, very important. Um but uh, stuff happens, bad guys are about, and so Henwen freaks out, runs into the forest, and Taryn follows her, uh, trying to retrieve her. He runs into Gwydion, the, uh, the prince, um, and together they set off on an, uh, a quest to reclaim Henwen, um, which quest does not go the way that everybody plans. Um, he meets up with a few other companions, loses Gwydion, uh, but eventually Taryn does... Uh, retrieve Henwen, save the day, and uh, go back home a changed young man. So, how's that for your recap? Okay. <laughs> Ryan's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it works. It, it recaps. Heavily focused on what at the very beginning, the reasoning, and... Well, there's... Forget. We're going to talk about some events uh, that <laughs> happen throughout the book, but... Uh, yeah. Things do happen in the middle. There, 
Yeah, we, I mean, we're going to talk about all those things. I'm just trying to get people, for people who, you know, it's been 30 years since they read the book or whatever. You know, hey, I read it when I was a kid. I, I know there are people on our Discord server who are like, hey, you know, I'm kind of, I'm afraid to go back and read it because I'm not sure if it'll hold up. I loved them as a kid, but, you know, now I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. I, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to like the book as much. So... First of all, let's let's start with a, the question of how this book does as a book for kids, and then I want to go after what is it? How does it do as a book for adults? Okay, so uh, Kyle, what would you say is the best age range today for this book? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say probably eight to 12 that's exactly what i was gonna yeah. say was Ryan's say, not along it's kind of borderline so i have an eight-year-old and we read a lot of books out loud like i'll read a bunch of stories about about this level to her this was maybe just beyond like to hold her interest long enough yeah um but i think that borderline she'd be able to do that um so i'd say eight to twelve mostly because i think i don't think that taryn is necessarily quite that young but i think he's relatable to somebody that young right um, and, and the simplicity of what he, like his desires and what he wants to do. And he, he wants to be a hero. He wants to learn wants more adventure. and he wants to be cool. Like the prince, you know, like, but then he starts to learn more about what that means. And right. so I think it's, uh, I think it'd be that range eight to 12. You can, you, yeah, exactly. He's very eager for adventure. You can almost mm-hmm. Ryan, I'm sure was picturing Yoda as Dalben going adventure. Heh. <laughs> excitement <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty familiar character <clears throat> and how old do we think taryn is because it never actually says i i always pictured him as about 15 16 yeah, something like that i was thinking 14 ish yeah just the youngest i think you could possibly place him would be like uh would maybe be 12 but i would probably be closer into the 14 15 range yeah 16 for the coming of age thing but yeah Right, big enough that he's that. he can swing a blacksmith hammer and try to make horseshoes. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. right, absolutely. So, um, okay, so I, I said I wanted to start with the you know how does it do as a book for kids? Um, we talked about the age range, but uh, as far as <clears throat> as far as uh, story wise and character wise, I freaking love this book as a book for kids. I think it's fantastic. Um, I mean, I read it as a kid. Uh, and so I do have the nostalgia factor feeding in, but it has been a long time since I read them. And so I, I feel somewhat fresh coming into it and was able to look at it somewhat analytically. Um, and I, I think it's really, really wonderful. Well done. It's a simple story. Um, it is, and I mean simple in just about every way you can conceive of. The plot is simple. The characters are simple. The conflict, very simple, right? They're, we're the good guys. Those are the bad guys. The, yeah. the, the Sons of Dawn versus Aran Deathlord. And the language right? is simple. Maybe outside of the actual names of the characters, but the language <laughs> is simple enough to yeah. understand. Yeah. So he definitely uh, achieved what he was going for. Um, but let's get right into our uh, Discord comments because um, R.D. Murphy, 1976, which gives us a clue as to when R.D. Murphy was born. So uh, let's see. R.D. Murphy, that would be 45. Uh, would ask or wants to know is the series enjoyable for an, an adult who didn't read or see the movie as a child now ryan you look like you are chambered and ready to fire on this one eventually <laughs> i want to get to kyle because this is his first time but you read this as a kid right 
yes, this is one of my earlier ones. I don't think this is the first series I read, but it is one of the earlier ones uh, that I went through. Um, and yes, there is a connection to a film out there, The Black Cauldron that Disney did. There, the connection is loose. <laughs> Very loose. Um, Both cauldrons are black. Yeah. They, <laughs> the character names are the same. That's about as far as it goes. Um, so if you have no connection to it, and as an adult, I actually think, yeah, uh, you absolutely could read these pretty quickly, go through them, and enjoy them quite a bit. Um, there was one thing about this story, that, especially as, this, as we've done this read-through. Um, I just read this to my boy not too long ago. and uh, Who is how old now? Seven. Seven. Uh, the, it, the story worked really well at that level, but I kept thinking about this. I'm like, if you took this and handed it to the the story premise here and handed it to an author today and or you know a TV series whatever there's enough depth and there's enough pieces in here that you could build out a really good full adult epic fantasy you'd have to make a few adjustments in there but at its base the the villains the heroes there's some really scary stuff a a bad guy who brings people back from the de- uh, the dead to be his army like I think we've oh, seen that recently. There's some dark mm-hmm. stuff going on in this book, and I think we'll get there, definitely. But no, I, I think you're right. Like, There are some beats that I think would get uh, changed if this were, in fact, written for adults. Like, in the end, Taron would be the one doing battle with the Horn King. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, you know, it, he kind of gets bilboed out of the story. Yeah. Uh, he passes out, and then he wakes up, and he's like, dude, you missed a great battle. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Tell me exactly what Shoot. happened. Um, um, well... So, so yeah, there would be some changes, but I, I have to say, like you say, Ryan, this, the depth it, that's hinted at here, there's enough for an adult to fill in. It, like mm-hmm. it presents certain situations that a kid might not care about that much or even understand that much, you know, as far as the morality tale of it, um, you know, the, the friendships, the, uh, whatever, whatever themes are going on here where a kid might recognize a rudimentary version of it, but an, an adult coming to this would read it and go, Oh man, there's a, there's a lot going on here. It's a bit like a kid watching, um, you ever watched tangled recently? And like, if, if you were a kid watching it, you'd be like, Oh, her stepmom is so mean. But then as an adult, you're like, that is straight up the most horrific, abusive relationship I've ever seen in a Disney movie, mm-hmm. you know, where it, that's yeah. the kind of thing I'm talking about. You can fill in the gaps as an adult with yeah. the book of three, right? Is that yeah. fair? It's definitely going through the lens of uh, a child, a more childlike lens in terms of storytelling and, and the amount of time you spend in the words because that's most likely the audience that's going to be consuming it there. But yeah, if you look just a little more, there's plenty there. So Kyle, what about you? You This is your first time coming to the book. Uh, you, we said We said, Kyle, it's been... It's been 84 years since you were on the Legendarium. You need to come back and read a book. How was this one? Did it did it do anything for you as an adult? Yeah, I liked it a lot. In fact, it was it was probably one of the more enjoyable ones I've done for the podcast because it wasn't heavy. Um, and that's not to knock on any of the huge epic fantasy series that we've read or whatever, but I really liked it as an adult because of its simplicity and lightness I, I was gonna say her lightheartedness i don't know that it's necessarily lighthearted but it is not overly complicated or overly uh cumbersome to get through and so i really liked it for that what i would say is if you are an adult reading it for the first time don't expect this to be something 
revolutionary in the fantasy genre. If you're if you're familiar with the fantasy genre, it's fairly tropey, but it's very enjoyable in that way. Yeah, and that's part of why I wanted to um, fit it into the chronology of mm-hmm. fantasy literature because it, this was 1964. We didn't even have you know by the 80s certain things were tropey and overdone but it took a little while in 1964 we weren't there yet mm-hmm. where this was still and frankly i would say this is still a story worth writing and reading this yeah. type of thing uh, as long as we're talking about tropes i like the ones that are in this book generally mm-hmm. speaking so um anyway yeah, yeah definitely worthwhile if you're an adult like i said i don't know that it would be uh groundbreaking in any way but it's definitely especially if you're if you do read a lot of heavier fantasy this is a really good palate cleanser like quick read and that's uh okay so now that we're a few minutes into the episode and we've chased off anybody who you know doesn't doesn't care (laughs) uh i would say uh why are we reading this book now um this was definitely on our list but i think it was like third or fourth on our list yeah it was a little ways down me and ryan were talking about um, you know, like what was the what was the other one? The Powder Mage. Powder Mage. Yeah, we were gonna do Powder Mage. I picked up Powder Mage and I was like, I just I can't. <laughs> I just don't care. Like I've been broken in the last year or so, uh basically by reading uh giant doorstoppers from Sanderson, uh trying to catch up before the rhythm of war re- war release uh <laughs> like a year and a half ago. Um but it, it like it broke me. Um, and I've been trying to get back into series and that's not a knock on powder mage. It's just, my brain was like, I can't do another epic giant fantasy series. Um, so I was like, I I called up Ryan and I was like, dude, can we just do book of three? I got, I, I I need to do, I I have to read a book. I need to do a podcast. I, can we do that one? And it was the right choice. So, uh, I, I thought it held up very well, but let's get back to some discord questions. Um, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about that stuff again probably later maybe later in the series. Uh, Befuddled Panda would like to know um, how was uh, let's see oh wait yeah which characters and or events stood out to you and why boy this is a broad question uh, but it's a good one Ryan what do you think um, so uh, growing up obviously when I first read it I always loved Terran and following because you know, that's the character you identify with um, Gurgi's fun. Uh, but this time around, actually, I was a little more surprised at how much I wanted to know about Gwydion, Prince Gwydion. <laughs> yeah. Um, because... Son of Arathorn. Yes. <laughs> this Aragorn-esque character here, uh, because that's, I, I think that's a little bit closer to what I would be uh, interested in. Like, if you, if you wanted to spin off and go from here, let's, you know, Tales of Gwydion, let's go. Um, I really liked him, uh, but... One of the fun things about this one outside of Gwydion, I would say um, Ilanwy is probably my favorite character in this book because of how not oblivious to what's going on, but how she handles everything else compared to to, like, to Terran, to Terran, to Gurgi, to Fluter, to everybody. It was like she's just so different, and I love that the I love the childish interactions between her and Terran. It's it's cute, I guess. And it was fun to kind of watch that. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, my, my head canon here for this book is that the sons of Dawn are in fact, uh, let's see. They, they came from the summer. Oh, the sons of Dawn came from the summer country. They're Numenorians. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, this is 100% Middle Earth. Yeah. It's <laughs> just, if uh, if Middle Earth is like some other part of Europe, then this is Wales in Middle Earth. So, there you yeah. go. Um, <laughs> so, let's see. So, the question was, uh, what, um, what characters or events stood out to you and why? Um, and for me, I, I like... I agree with that. Ilanwi stood out to me on this read as well. Um, she, obviously, she's a very memorable character, and it's a small cast of characters because you're writing yeah. it for kids, you know, so you don't have that many to choose from. But I, I liked that she's so brash. She, uh, you know, she's a very take charge girl, which you can kind of understand. I mean, you find out later she's an actual princess. Okay, so she was raised giving orders probably, and she is living in a castle with Queen Akron. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know you you got to have uh, you got to have I don't I don't know what the best expression would be balls of steel to, <laughs> to grow up in a castle with Queen Akron right so she's learned this type of behavior but she's still a girl you know call her fifteen years old or whatever she doesn't have that much life experience so she's very assertive and brash but she doesn't know all that much and so sometimes it really works out well. And then mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, no, she led you into disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I like that where it's, um, you, you take a character that I know some critics have called two-dimensional and they call all these characters two-dimensional, which, okay, fine. It's a kid's book. What do you want? Um, to a degree, fine. She's two-dimensional, but you put her in different situations and make her do the same thing. You know, you're not changing her character. You're changing the situation around her and watch how that character trait helps or hurts certain situations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed reading her this time around. Kyle, would you have an answer for this one? Uh, I was actually going to go with Princess as well. Doggone it. <laughs> I know. Uh, bunch of bunch of old men talking about the teenage princess. This no, is... I mean, kind of just going back to what I was talking about earlier with my daughter and us reading fantasy, like reading this. I've, I've never read it before, but reading through this, she just reminded me of her. And it was uh, for the main reason that she's very candid um, and she just says what's on her mind, and she's basically like, Taryn, you're dumb most of the time when he does stuff, right? <laughs> and, and he uh, is. And he is, and she's not wrong. And uh, <laughs> But I just I just found her very enjoyable for many of the reasons that both of you already mentioned. Um, and I think that she's the most interesting character because she is there living with her quote-unquote aunt to re- learn how to become an enchantress and has these powers or whatever. So I feel like if I were to handpick a character that I want more info or spinoffs or, you know, to yeah. dig into more, it's her character. Good. I'm glad you said that because book three is all about Princess Ilanwi. Sweet. So, yeah, now she's she's great. Um, so here's a question. I'm I, This is not from Discord, but I'm just going to spin that one on its head. Is there anything that didn't work for you, either a situation or a character? So you guys think about that for a second. Uh, and mine, while you're thinking about it, mine is Fluter Flam. First okay. of all, wonderful name to say, right? Just just <laughs> to say, Flute or Flam. It's a great name. Uh, it looks weird on the page, but it's a great name. Um, but the reason I say it didn't quite work was as a kid, um, it, was, it was a funny little quirky thing where he has this harp. It's a magic harp. This goes back to the joke about Kyle earlier in the episode. Sorry if you didn't get it. Um, <laughs> but he has a harp where the spring, the springs, the strings break if he lies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so every time he lies, one or more strings on this heart break. And so he's constantly embellishing his stories and, and, and lying, essentially. Um, and so the strings are always breaking. 
and as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, good. Lying is bad. And this guy, funny things happen and frustrating things happen because he lies all the time. So don't lie, kids. You know, very Saturday morning cartoon. And it works in that way. As an adult, I'm sitting here looking at this going, this guy would have learned a long time ago to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody is that thick-headed, right? And so he's a little flighty, fine, but he's not that dumb. And, you know, so there was a moment about halfway through our time with Fluter where I was like, no, no. It's because it's every time he opens his mouth, this happens. You know? So, I don't know. That's just, that's for me. Did you guys think of anything that didn't quite work for you? Um, No, no, they didn't. No, I was going to say, it's not that it doesn't work for me, but I think back to the subject of if you're reading this as an adult, the idea of an oracle pig uh, I think is fun and whimsical, especially for a uh, younger reader. Uh, but I think as an adult, it's kind of like, what? what? I don't, I don't get this. So like when I first opened this up and started reading and it's like, Henwin is this Oracle pig or whatever. I was like, that's almost too silly for me to want to continue reading, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it, it's fine and it works. So yeah. I don't want to say it didn't work for me, but I think it was borderline like, uh, okay. You know, that was uh, because I have the whole series somewhat in my mind. I, I, I've i forgotten most of it, but I still have certain scenes in my mind. And I know that Henwen the oracular pig will, in fact, be an oracular pig as the series <laughs> goes on. But it's very weird that in this book, we hear all this. Uh, she's the most important thing. She was you know, the most important prisoner that Iran ever took. And, you know, mm-hmm. and she's just like kind of a pig living in a pen in Cardal Ben, you yeah. know, and. Um, and it's a it's a Chekhov's gun that never even kind of goes off in the whole story. Yeah, and so I was like, "Wait, that's weird. We really have to wait past the first book for that." So. Is it is it a Chekhov's gun or a MacGuffin or or both? Like, both. Yeah, in this like case, a, a MacGuffin gun. Um, <laughs> Chekhov's McGun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the the pig doesn't. I if there is something that bother. It doesn't bother me now, but now I would ask this question more as an adult. Uh, Dalben, specifically, he is our Gandalf-esque character who just lives in his little village place and doesn't do anything. I know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, sh- or I want to know what it is you're doing to stop the Horn King. He's like, ah, Terran, I'm sorry you were doing Horn, you were, uh, I saw you fighting the sword. That's not a good thing for you to do. By the way, the Horn King's just down the road a little ways. We got, let's make sure you stay away from that. Now stop learning how to sword Sword fight. fight. Yeah. (laughs) Do you do magic or do you just pig tend? Like what's going on? Come on, Dalben. The assistant pig tend. (laughs) Assistant to the pig tender. (laughs) (laughs) He does have the book of three, uh, which we gather from this book gives him some kind of knowledge. That was my question. But that's another. What even is the book of three? Like I get that there's a prophecy or something within there, but like. This book is the book of three. What is the book of three? That's when I, when I got done with this read uh, and I shut the book, um, I'm, I'm sitting in bed next to my wife and she goes, so how, how was it? And I was like, oh yeah, still great book. Terrible title. <laughs> great book. Yeah. Cause yeah, the title has nothing to do with I just was wondering if on. maybe I was reading too like asleep or whatever, you know, like, did I miss something? Did I overlook something yeah. where the, there was an explanation for the book of three? Like I got a very vague idea so which is fine to a certain extent yeah but uh yeah no i'm I'm with you on that one um so padre philippe 
on Discord asks, what is the book's inspiration? Or what are the book's inspirations? In 1964, that's before most everything else in the genre. Okay, so yeah, we talked about where it kind of sits in the the timeline uh, of fantasy literature. But uh, I have imperfect knowledge on this. So, you know, I, I am not a Lloyd Alexander scholar, despite having gone to BYU for college where they have a permanent Lloyd Alexander exhibit at the library. I don't know mm. if you guys knew that. Yeah, you can mm. go to the library, check out the, the Lloyd Alexander exhibit here in Utah. It does seem like the most BYU fantasy series I've ever come across. It's, I mean, it's it's uh, it's very <laughs> wholesome AF. There you go. That's a that's a great way to put it. <laughs> Let's uh, that's it. There's a T-shirt for you. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So anyway, this guy he was born in the 1920s. Um, uh, he was a soldier for a while, and then he became a scholar. Um, but he spent time in Wales. I can't remember why. I think maybe I'll do like a little author spotlight for one of the, the subsequent books as we go through the series. But uh, but he spent time in Wales. And much like Tolkien, um, as you go through Wales, you see the like the city names, this, the directional signs or the signs on the, the pubs or whatever. And you see these names, these words that are just bizarre, but they look gorgeous. Um, you know, they, these these words, they they don't pronounce anything like you would expect them to but uh but they look wonderful and and so he had a kind of similar reaction to tolkien so tolkien when he was a young man he spent a little time in wales and that inspired him to go and learn the welsh language because that's what he did he saw a language and then he you know went to the i can do that better yeah he went to the (laughs) yeah there you go so uh, he went to the woodshed, and by the time he got back, he knew Welsh. Um, anyway, so yeah, it was kind of a similar thing where they were both entranced by this language and the country and the myths. Um, and so that's where much of the uh, inspiration came from. So a lot of the characters are pulled from Welsh legend, but it's not like the things... It's like their names were pulled from Welsh legend. It's and not maybe a retelling. F- yeah, there may be a few little things that they have in common with the actual legends. Um, but yeah, he changed a lot of stuff around. Um, but anyway, that's where a lot of that stuff came from. That's where the geography of Perdane loosely comes from. So um, anyway, but yeah, that's a good question. And Padre Philippe, we're going to get more into that as we go through the series. So um, let's do another one. Oh, yeah. You know what? No, we'll save that till the end. Um, which members of the cast, asks Jeff Dugan, would you want your kids to use as role models and Why? Okay, so which characters would you want your kids to have as role models, and why? Um, oh gosh, different phases of your life, different characters would mean more. Oh, absolutely. Like, but think of your kid, seven-year-old boy. Yeah, should is is Taryn his role model? I mean, that's probably the one that's going to be the uh, most likely to stick and work. Like, because we haven't seen that many characters yet, right? Yeah. Um, my, it's not likely that a seven-year-old boy is going to want to be Prince Gwydion. Maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> you would have. Yeah, probably. Taryn does. Uh, That's true. The, but someone like, there's aspects of like, Gurgi's selfless nature is a really uh, great aspirational thing, but there's other aspects of Gurgi that I'm like, no, I don't want you to take on. Right. Um, aside from just speech pathology. <laughs> <laughs> that would get old very quickly. Cute for a little bit, but get old very quickly. Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's, and that's going to be the case with just about everybody where it's um, uh, Taryn exhibits. A, when we get to the end of the story, which 
yeah, I know there's a bunch of stuff in the middle we haven't really talked about yet, but he goes through all these adventures and he gets back um, and he's kind of expressing his disappointment to, I think it's in a conversation with Gwydion where he's like, I didn't do anything. Um, somebody else found, Gurgi found Henwen and somebody else defeated, you've defeated the Horn King. Uh, other people, you know, we picked up the sword, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't do anything. And he's like, no, that's not true. You held the entire group together to enable them to do these things. There is something to be said for leadership, right? So he's you have a great future in middle management. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so Tarrant, I guess my point is just that Taryn is frustrating and he's naive and uh, he's an idiot and a bullhead and all these things. Um, but he does have that kind of um, determination and leadership quality mm-hmm. that you would want a kid to have. Island we we've talked about is, is brash and uh, a little headstrong <laughs> probably, but um, she's also brash and headstrong and that's both a strength and a weakness. These, these are not mutually exclusive uh, in her case. And, you know, you go down the, the list. Gurgi, you mentioned Fluterflam. We can talk about. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. You pit, roll your dice. Pick a character. They all have things to emulate and things to avoid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cole is a character. We haven't even mentioned his name yet. But as an older person, uh, I actually really appreciated. I appreciate Cole. And the first time reading it as a kid, you don't really... Uh, if you're not really familiar with a lot of fantasy tropes, you don't pick up on the idea that he's a grizzled war veteran who's been through all this before. Everything. You know, he's, you kind of know he's there because he knows how to sword fight. And stuff. Right. But to realize what he's sacrificed, what he's done, the personality he has, uh, how patient he is, everything. like that's As an adult, if there's a character in there to emulate a little bit more, but I actually think Cole's a, someone to, who deserves a shout in that. Yeah, we just don't spend enough time with him, like you said. Like, he's he's in the story. We learn little hints about his past, but uh, we don't spend enough time with him for me to yeah. think about that as, like... It's not until, I mean... You don't have enough to emulate, basically. Yeah, you have the beginning uh, with the time in the blacksmith shop, and then you have later on when the Sons of Dawn have to go to battle, and he, they've got to go off on their little journey. That's right. about it. So, yeah, Kyle, any thoughts on this one? Nothing too serious. I would say the the character you want to strive to be is uh, is Henwen. You want to be the prized pig that everybody goes <laughs> bonkers over and hunts down and wants to find and rescue. Isn't that so how you, you can live your life in the sty and just be fat and happy, and people will you know go to the ends of ends of the earth to rescue you. What's the name That's of what the What's the name of the pig in uh, Charlotte's Web? Wilbur. Wilbur. Wilbur yeah. yeah. That's, That's prize a- pig. The only way, the only way you're not going to get slaughtered is by uh, winning some prize at the county fair right? or being an all-knowing swine. <laughs> <laughs> all-knowing swine. There's your t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. A final question here from R.D. Murphy, 1976, uh, who says this might be more for Professor Craig, but what do you think about the use of chronicles to describe a series of books? All right. So we're pulling out uh, of the story and looking at just the naming convention here. Uh, I think it has, going back to Murphy, I think it has become generic for series, but in early usage, Martian Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia, Chronicles of Perdane, it actually seemed more like the definition, which is a factual account, or a factual written account of important or historical events in the order of their occurrence. Um, But at this point, yeah, it pretty much is just a series of books. I don't know. A fantasy series of books. Does it bother? Well, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get the chronicles of, uh, you know, the Fifty Shades or whatever. Yeah, like it's. I feel like 
that naming convention is a trope in and of itself now within the genre. And so you throw chronicles on anything and it's a it's a marketing play. We were just we're talking about this earlier, but it's a similar where you design your Wheel of Time logo to look like the Game of Thrones logo <laughs> right. so that you can connect the dots between popular series like this is Chronicles, that is Chronicles, you know. Right. I mean, how else are you going to know what Riddick does? I mean, how do you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a great question, Ryan. That's Man. a great question. Oh. <laughs> Probably the best Chronicles out there. <laughs> I mean, who could deny? Uh, so yeah, sorry, I had to take a drink of water. I'm dying here. Um, so what? Yeah, what do we think of Chronicles? It doesn't really bother me. I mean, you need something that says this is not just one book. There are sure. there is more where this came from, and uh, I don't really it's, care what you use. I mean, What's, it's it's an earlier version of I think nowadays we've got the title character and the such and such of such and such <laughs> harry potter and the whatever uh what is it the percy, percy jackson. jackson and the you know so like nowadays it's that that is the thing that everybody does with their young adult fantasy series or whatever it's title character and the problem and the solution or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? so basically the cover becomes the whole story right but like that's, harry potter and the time that he used this spell to make sure that i don't have a problem with it but i will say i, I roll my eyes at it now i mean this is obviously an earlier early adapt adapter of it so uh go lloyd go lloyd trend set the trend <laughs> but uh i roll my eyes at any series i see that's chronicles now just because yeah. it's like Okay. Yeah, I I can understand that. I don't share that feeling just because of sure. what I said. Where you gotta you gotta choose something, and, mm-hmm. and you've got what we've got the Stormlight Archive. Okay, that's a little bit different. But what else do we have? Yeah, uh, you're just referencing whatever series. because section of library is a boring way to describe fantasy <laughs> thing. Like <laughs> that's what all these are. It's like this is it's tales. The thing it does signal. Um, and I think if a series does it, it merits using Chronicles a little more than maybe something else is. Uh, does it tell the story of whatever the of is? Like, this is the Chronicles of Perdane. Does it tell the full story of Perdane, or does it just tell one story inside of that? This one is the case where it's, we follow a few different stories, but it's the uh, one character. So I might push back on it a little bit, but yeah, if, if you're only following one person, maybe Chronicles isn't a great option, but if you're talking about the world as a uh, your world as a whole, it makes more sense to me to have the different story pieces and different points of view right. be called chronicles. Yeah, okay, uh, fair enough. I think we spent a little more time on that than I anticipated, but uh, there <laughs> I, you go. I've never had strong feelings about it. Yeah, before I know. I'm now, kind so. of the same. Kind of the same. Um, okay, so l- now that we've, I think we've caught up on all of the uh, Discord comments. I wanted to make sure we used those to guide our discussion at first so we make sure we address things uh but now i think we can just turn it to the three of us to talk about notes thoughts feelings anything you wanted to bring up um and i will start there are some funny bits in this book and they were just funny enough like i how how should i put this i can't believe as a 35 year old how adept um Lloyd Alexander was at writing humor that was just perfect for kids. It wasn't condescending. It wasn't like too juvenile, but it also wasn't too sophisticated for them to get. Mm -hmm. So the example I've got is uh, in the very first chapter, Taryn is, um, here, I'll see if I can even pull it up in my book here. Taryn is still in Cardalben, and uh, we're describing Dalben here. Uh, It says... uh, 
Let's see. Dalbin, master of Cardal Bend, was 379 years old. His beard covered so much of his face, he seemed always to be peering over a gray cloud. On the little farm, while Taryn and Cole saw to the plowing, sowing, weeding, reaping, and all other tasks of husbandry, Dalbin undertook the meditating, an occupation so <laughs> exhausting he could accomplish it only by lying down and closing his eyes. He meditated an hour and a half following breakfast and again later in the day. <laughs> like, it's, it's a funny joke. And it's just, it's just sophisticated enough that as a 10-year-old reader, say, like, you're probably going to get that. And it's, yeah. it's going to make you laugh, right? Um, it, does that make sense? Like, I, I think he skirted that line really well generally throughout the book of, oh, yeah. uh, of not dumbing it down too much, but also not making it adult humor. Thoughts? Yeah. Feelings? You could easily have taken a character like Gurgi, for example, and gone very juvenile with this uh, you know, super hairy, kind of gross-smelling creature, you know, with, uh, you know, add a whole bunch of flatulence and everything, and it just <laughs> right. becomes this really juvenile moment, and the kid's like, ah, ha, ha, he fought it, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, that was, is your kid a troll? Uh, or? Goblin. Goblin, um, okay. No, but, uh, so it's possible, and he doesn't do that. I think, uh, at no point in this book uh, do I feel like you will be in tears rolling on the floor because of what he's written. No, they're but chuckles. Yeah, but it's nice. And it's especially uh, a nice nod to uh, adult readers who are reading this to their kids at bedtime. Like, hey, here's a little here's a little something for you to kind of smile at because you know you meditate an hour and a half when you get home from work. I think things like that. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think what it does really well... I think to an earlier point in the in the discussion is that it keeps it light because there are a lot of actually pretty dark themes throughout the book. And like Ryan mentioned it, the horned King, when we get to that point, it's this guy that raises an army of the dead. And that's scary for a, an eight to 12 year old person to read yeah, about, yeah. you know, but you, you have a lot of this, these little light moments and funny moments. And, and to your point, it kind of brings them along like, Oh, I, I got the joke. That's a that's a big kid joke, or that's an adult joke. And somebody yeah. reading at this level, uh, I think I I know at least for for my daughter who's eight, she she's the one that's like reading a book, and I read that faster than you. So we actually had a readathon the other day because I was reading this, <laughs> and she was reading her books, and she'd sit there and she'd be like, "Dad, I finished two books before you finished your book," you know. And so she's the kind that's like, <laughs> "I want to be the reader." And I think these types of uh sophisticated just enough brings those readers up and it makes them excited that they're reading they're reading a chapter book as she would say you know it's not a it's not a kid's book anymore right and, and to that point you mentioned uh, that it can get pretty dark in places and so it's nice to have some levity well let's talk about the dark spots in the story a little bit so um, just to set things up, Taryn has met Gwydion in the forest and they're going after Henwen and they come across, um, they come across the Horn King once, uh, but then, you know, he rides away and then they come across him with his entire army. And, uh, so they're, they're sneaking up to get a look at the army, find out what's going on. Um, and let's see, before Gwydion could speak again, the Horn King bearing a torch rode to the wicker baskets and thrust the fire into them. Flames seized the Osir cages. Uh, billows of foul smoke rose skyward. The warriors clashed their shields and shouted together with one voice. From the baskets rose the agonized screams of men. Terran gasped and turned away. Holy sh... 
Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> like, as I was reading through this time, I'm like, you know, I remember that. Now that I'm reading it, I remember having read that as a kid, but I don't remember being as horrified as I am now um, by that. There is some dark stuff. But again, just like the humor, it's he he brings a kid right up to the line of here is a horrific thing that could happen or that, you know, that has happened in the world or, you know, well, today, gosh, does happen, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this thing, but we're, we're not going to dwell on it. But just know that there are awful people in the world. These are the stakes. The Horned King is this kind of person. Um Right. And so that that darkness, he doesn't dwell on it too much, but he does. He also doesn't uh, steer a kid away from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We don't have to have necessarily hard reality for kids. He said just a touch enough of evil um, out there that they recognize it. And one of the key things for me about the success of a book like this for children is that they see that in these moments, that the hero can come out of it and the hero, uh, that good will triumph, the, the, the hero changes, the hero realizes it um, versus a lot of, you know, more adult books or whatever where we play in the grim dark and we kind of play in the gray areas of things for these kids to understand that it's going to be okay. Take a stand for, for doing what's right. Like this is, those are the key elements that I want my heroes in a child's book to come out to, to showcase in whenever there's a dark moment that comes up. Right. So like after that happens, Taryn turns away or whatever, but he's he is he continues on his journey. Like, I, I want my kid to realize that that it's not just run away scared or anything. Do be a force for good. I there guess. you go. Yeah. Um okay. Kyle, any thoughts before we move on to anything else? No, I mean I just I I kinda echo what you're saying. I had a passage marked here uh in a similar way, but so it's when the Horned King is uh, coming up on Terran and he's he's kind of wanting to, or he's about to kill him or, or within striking the, distance. the end of the book or the beginning? The end, okay. Towards the end. And I just like the way that he, he described this here. And he said, um, so he broke Terran's sword at that point, right? So he right. said, Terran dropped the useless shards. The Horned King paused. A growl of savage joy rose in his throat and he took a firmer grasp on his weapon. And just like the the malice and evil that he the horned king delights in the fact that he's about to kill this kid, like that is a scary image for a kid. And so, just echoing that yeah. as, as another example. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. So, um, okay, I I feel like I've kind of monopolized the directions we've taken this conversation. Is there anything that you guys uh, uh, bullet points, highlights, things that you wanted to pull out and talk about? Let's uh, just for a minute. Um, I want to go back to Spiral Castle, which oh, is where yeah. we meet Ocran. It's uh, Terran and Gwydion are captured by Ocran, and the, she's a sorceress. Yes, um, this is where we meet Islandwe uh, because she's the one who helps Terran and Gurgi escape uh, from the, the castle because she knows the little secret underground passages, and she has this um, bobble that. Allows her to see it's a little uh, glowing jewel. Yeah, it's a little uh, yeah. a Silmaril. Yes, that's what. Okay, <laughs> I can go with that. Um, yeah, she has this that allows her to kind of get around, and so uh, it's early. It's an early piece foreshadowing future things. But uh, being in Spiral Castle, the moment uh, when when they escape, Terran they escape. Terran pulls 
Is it Island Lee that pulls the sword? No, uh, Island Lee grabs the sword from. Okay, so they're they're escaping through the the tunnels. Yeah, they're in a barrel. They, they're in the 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 grave of an, an ancient king. king. Yeah, which okay. with yeah. soldiers, dead soldiers all around him, and they all have their weapons on him. Okay, mm-hmm. just trying to set the scene. Yes, uh, and so they pull this. They, they they pull the sword, and it causes the entire castle to collapse. Right, and come down on itself, and. Uh, Cool magic, cool setup there. Like the, this, this has kind of been holding it all together. But then the moments afterwards, Terran realizing as they're looking over the rubble of everything, um, the reactions of the two characters. Terran responds like, "Oh, Gwydion might have just. Uh, we might have just killed Gwydion," and gets upset with Islandwe mm-hmm. over that. He freaks out over that. And Islandwe's like, uh, "Akron might be under one of those stones. That'd be nice." <laughs> <laughs> but. I don't know, the, the kids coming to grips with A, going through something so terrifying as crawling through the dark, creepy spaces into a grave surrounded by dead people with weapons and like that, and then coming out and realizing that the adults that you had with you that were that have been raising you or guiding you are now probably dead. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the Spiral Castle sequence. It might be, after this read-through, my favorite sequence in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a few different reasons, um, as an as an editor, I have quibbles where I'm like, uh, yeah, we're going to need to spend some more time here and understand what's going on. But that's uh, that's why I'm not an editor because I wouldn't be a very good one. Um, but what we get here, we get the villainous Akron, at least a glimpse of her for just a moment, and then we never see her again. Um, but we also get. Uh, it's it's a really well done glimpse into the history of Prydain. and I love this idea where you're you're in the domain of the sorceress, and she's she's evil and beautiful and terrifying and all of these things, um, and she is the mistress of this castle. And then they get down underneath in the barrows and all the tunnels and everything, and you start to realize like, and Ilan we says no, she doesn't. She thinks she owns this place. She doesn't know the half of it. She only stays in her, you know, her bedchamber and her audience chamber. That's, you know, that's about it. Where I know way more about this castle than she does because I bothered to explore it. And and then, like you mentioned, the old magic where she removes the sword from the king's barrow, uh, like from his chest, and that triggers the magic. Uh, where you get this sense that oh man, there's a lot of history just in this one sequence. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really well done. I also like the character work um, in that sequence where Taron, he comes into this barrow, he sees the king and all the knights arrayed around him, and his instinct is, I don't know, that guy looks really important. I'd better not disturb him. Because mm-hmm. that's been part of his character up to this point, the, the hero worship, the I want to be like Gwitty and I want to go off and have adventures and oh, and now there's this king. I'd better not disturb him. So he grabs a sword from one of the knights who, you know, who cares, whatever. Uh, but then Thanks, they, get, they get out there, <laughs> they get out to the uh, to the clearing and he sees that Ilanwi has picked up the king's sword and she's like, well, yeah, he's the king. It's bound to be the best one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just so practical. And, and so it was a really great, like, um, it, we're... we're told all the time show don't tell show don't tell and that was a really great show don't tell mm-hmm. where here's what kind of character Taryn is here's what kind of character Ilanwi is yeah. and that's going to carry us through the whole series but you get those those showing moments I, I just I love Spiral Castle yeah what about you uh, Kyle any standout moments sequences in the book 
Um, I mean, honestly, it's the same scene that I just read from, but you were talking about uh, inspirations earlier. I think mm-hmm. one of the questions was about inspirations, and it's after Taryn's sword gets broken, and then he tries to actually grab the, I can't pronounce it, the, the sword that we're just talking about. Dernwin. Dernwin. And uh, he can't. He, it won't come out of the sheet right. because he's not worthy or it's, it's very King Arthur. Um, so I just, I really like that callback and, and that whole scene. So um, I don't, I mean, I don't know how far that all extends. Obviously I haven't read through the rest of it, but just the idea that yeah. prophesied leader sword, he's not worthy. Can't pull that sword from the sheath or whatever, but anyways. So let me ask you a question about Dernwin. Uh, this, the sword, it's the, the it, it's, the Excalibur, it's, you know, whatever, it's Aragorn's sword, it's uh, all sorts of things. Um, Dernwin <clears throat> is the magical sword that is the key in the end to stopping the Horned King. And Gwydion uses it to defeat the Horned King. Um, and it is found on accident. <clears throat> so it's during the escape from Spiral Castle, excuse me, <clears throat> it's on the, in the escape. Uh, but in that escape, they accidentally fall into the barrow um, and then Ilon Wee happens to pick up the right sword uh, and then and happens not to throw away this thing that's way too heavier, heavy for her to actually use. Um, she just straps it to her back and carries it all the way to the end of the story so that we have it there at the end of the story. Um, does that bother you when the hero kind of just accidentally stumbles across the one thing that could defeat the bad guy and stop evil from taking over the world? Like when a hobbit falls down a hole and meets a Smeagol and, and picks up this <laughs> tiny little ring. Very nicely done. So, yeah, that's that's my question. Does it bother you? Uh, it doesn't bother me in this, and for very similar reasons why that doesn't bother me in Lord of the Rings, is uh, if they had started the book out with, we must find this great sword, and we've been searching for it for years, and it's the only thing that will save us, and then they happen to stumble into it. It's like, oh, all right, so that's where it was the whole time. Okay. We don't know. We don't care. And then when it comes out, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I don't know. I think building it up more and then accidentally finding it versus going on a quest to find it. Like, I don't know. That's that's the balance I would want to see. So, I'm uh, having a hard time striking. Okay, so you're you're saying because it wasn't built up beforehand, it doesn't matter. It's so not much their to quest you. to find it, and they accidentally stumble onto it. Much like uh, Bilbo was going to burgle Smaug, not going on a quest to find a magic ring. Yes. Right. Yes. So this, because it's not, okay, no, that, that makes sense. Okay. So yeah. It's no, a side just, quest that becomes the main quest. <laughs> now, is Go. it the, maybe I'm misremembering, but is it the, is it the sword that he uses to, to kill the Horn King? It or may, is it, maybe is it's it a name? Doesn't he like, whisk, isn't there oh, some kind of name that whisk, gets whispered or something For some like reason, that? in my brain, he used, uh, in my memory, he used Dernwin to oh, strike down the 20 Horn minutes, King. I'll reread the last <laughs> could you? Chapters. Could you, yeah, Ryan, <laughs> can we just pause it now, maybe some hold music for the next 20 minutes of the podcast? Okay, apparently, yes, we can do hold music. Okay, no, I feature. I think you're right. Maybe he doesn't actually use the sword. Like, Terran tries to use it. I thought Gwydion then used it, but I think you're right. Yeah, I like the point that Ryan made because, you know, when they set out on this, it's it's the pig that's the ultimate quest. Right. Right? And gradually over the course of the book, the pig's still important. And they want to bring him along or whatever, bring her along and uh, and still rescue her. But the plot shifts as during the course of their adventures, they learn more about the Horn King and what's going on. And just so happens they have the sword to yeah. 
to help. So. Yeah, no, it uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me because I mean, like you said, it's basically Bilbo finding the ring. Who cares? Um, it just works out for the story. It works into the story eventually. So yeah, yeah it's all good by me. Um, Kyle, communication. Communication. You remember, remember when we were reading the Wheel of Time? Yeah. And if everybody would just just talk to each other, just <laughs> say anything to each other, you'd avoid a whole world of hurt, right? Right. Um, did you spot where that came up again in this book? The very beginning, maybe when. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which part? Well, I well I think it's the point where Taryn meets Gwydion, and he doesn't know anything about. Is it cold that he doesn't know anything about? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "What? You know, he's like, he's he a hero. He hasn't told you anything." And so, uh, like, I don't know. It's kind of Ryan made the point earlier, but just the idea that like, stop playing with swords. There's a horned king over here, but stop playing with swords. <laughs> and so, just the idea of not communicating or or teaching uh, came up pretty early. But I don't know. It sounds like you're thinking of something. I, more specific. I am. Th- I was curious if there was anything else. I am thinking of something specific, but I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily fishing uh, for that specific thing, but the, what I was thinking of was when they make it out of Spiral Castle uh, and they come up to Fluter. Okay, so mm-hmm. Ilanwi has rescued Fluter because Taryn said, hey, you got to get my companion out as mm-hmm. well. Yep. <laughs> um, and so now Gwydion is presumed dead under the collapsed Spiral Castle and Taryn is mad at Ilanwi and she's like, you told me to get the guy in the other cell. I got the guy in the other cell. You didn't tell me, hey, would you please go rescue Prince Gwydion? If you'd said that, I would have done it. But yep. you didn't say that. You know, and so it's just one of those moments where it's like, look, I know you're, you're trying to be clever and act like the heroes in the stories that you love so much. But just say, hey, I'm traveling with Prince Gwydion. He's an important man. And he's my hero. I would appreciate it if you would go rescue him as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that just, it made me think of you because I knew you were reading the book and I'm like, that is straight Watt right there. 100%. But without that, uh, without that miscommunication and conflict, we wouldn't get a awesome story, you know? Yeah. yeah. Ryan, did you, did you find? I did actually find the bit, the, the bit here. Okay. Um, so it turns yeah, out me. that uh, Henwen told Gwydion the secret name that allowed that's because for some reason that i can't remember Gwydion can now understand the speech of all animals yes what? he becomes dr doolittle and can speak <laughs> with one heart and he says well did did we just did we just cast robert downey jr as Gwydion? Uh, <laughs> oh no or or eddie murphy one of the two <laughs> uh yeah it's uh let's see uh, he says right here um uh, when I learned from her, what, what I learned from her was more important than I suspected, and I, and I understood why Iran's champion sought her desperately. He too realized she knew the one thing that could destroy him. What was that? Taryn asked urgently. She knew the Horn King's secret name. His name? Taryn cried in astonishment. I never realized the name could be so powerful. Yes, Gwydion answered. Once you have courage to look upon evil, seeing it for what it is and naming it by its true name, it is powerless against you, and you can destroy it. Yet with all my understanding, he said, reaching down and scratching the white pig's ear, I could not have discovered the Horn King's name without Henwen. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, here I was thinking he just swung a magic sword really hard, and I'd forgotten about that. So yeah. You are so dumb. <laughs> but a couple pages earlier, like it talks about him burning and everything. Like They draw the sword, and it burns him. So I don't know if it was just one of those perfect timing things. Like He came in, whispered the name, drew the sword, laid on fire, and he was like, ah, perfect coincidences of everything that could destroy me. <laughs> 
Maybe, yes, maybe exactly. So. <laughs> maybe so. Um, all right, good. Well, I think we're coming up on the end of this one. Is there anything else? Uh, any final thoughts on the book of three that we want to get to? Um, any I other moments want, you want to talk about? I, I only want to mention this because honestly, I don't think we'll have anything to say about it. But just so that the names get mentioned, uh, hmm. Dolly and King Idleg and the Fairy Folk. Oh, the sure, folk, the right? Fair Fair Folk, the Fair Folk. Sorry, the, the Fair Folk. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that happened in the book. <laughs> that, yeah, that was a that was a thing that, that occurred. Um, so yeah, Dolly is the dwarf who mm. he's, whose he's whole grumpy. family. He's very grumpy. They're all grumpy. It seems like <laughs> for fair folk, they're awfully grumpy. Um, his whole family has the ability to turn invisible. Uh, he, for some reason, doesn't, and he spends most of the story trying to get it, uh, get, try, trying to get that ability, and he can't do it. Um, and he's rewarded with it somehow magically by Gwydion at the end of the story. Because that's how the Wizard of Oz works. Exactly. There you go. So, um, yeah, that's that's Dolly. No, that's a good call out. We didn't get to them. We also didn't really talk much about the uh, the very delightful Noah and the Ark uh, Medwin's sequence. Valley. Medwin's mm-hmm. Valley, um, which I, I really like. It's uh, he's he's kind of um, Tom Bombadil and Bayorn. Uh, rolled into one. Yes. This right. is years after the love child of those two. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, Pre-Chronicles. So Gold- <laughs> Goldberry is like, nah, I'm going with Bayorn now, so. Yeah. Peace. Um, That's how we get this valley of happy animals. And- I am I am just disturbed to the max at the moment. I, my brain doesn't know where to go other than to end this episode before it gets any worse. Um yes delightful sequence i don't know there's well okay i will say my final thought on the book okay if it's not clear i freaking love this book i loved it as a kid i wondered if i would love it as an adult i do um i i i highly encourage people to read it if you've got the right expectations if you can put yourself in a younger mindset um a simpler mindset then yes absolutely go ahead and read it it's wonderful fun um what surprised me about this book is it's like I've got, I've got this uh, hardback edition. It's like 180 pages. It is not a long book, and they're not like chunky pages either. Okay, so this is a one sitting book. Um, but boy, oh boy, does it cook! They cover a lot of ground in this story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Set piece after set piece after set piece, and they, you know, and you 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 start with the the really normal uh, orphan farm boy situation and then you're just going off in crazy directions and you're picking up companions and you're losing companions and you're going to the valley and you're finding the pig and you're losing the pig and that's and in 180 pages i was shocked at just how much ground we covered i don't know how'd, how'd you feel about it I, that way i would say yeah uh it fits in because of again attention spans an audience but there are books that we have read that have chapters that <laughs> challenge the page count and the, the word the count, word count of this. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, last battle. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That was that was just what amazed me about it. But uh, yeah, other final thoughts from you guys? Uh, Kyle, do you recommend no. the book? Do you like the book? Yeah, I love it. I think I uh, genuinely enjoyed it. Genuinely looking forward to continuing and, and digging in more. Like I said, there's a lot of points of interest. I'd love to learn more about the princess. I mean, just all all of the main characters, I think they're all very interesting and distinct, even though they're quite simple and archetypal, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that there's, they're fleshed out in a way that even having read 
a bunch of fantasy and being very familiar with the tropes, I'm still very interested in these unique character stories. So. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about this with Ryan uh, earlier in the week, I think it was, um, about how excited I am to read the rest of the series because, um, as I recall, well, okay, let me, let me back up and say, with a lot of series... Um, I mean, you can kind of, you could take Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, kind of, uh, what's the Alcatraz series oh. or whatever, where you get, you get a book where it's like, yeah, pretty much every book in the series is going to be very, very similar. So you, you've read one, you've read them all in a way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, it's not yeah. quite that simple, but, um, you know, Harry goes to school, there's a problem, he defeats the bad guy and, you know, it's the end of the book. Um, this series in my memory at least and we'll evaluate this as we go but my memory is every book is really distinct um it has a different type of story has a different point has a different um journey for taryn and the rest of the characters focuses more or less on different characters whatever um and so this is uh, this is a series that does not follow that mold so yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to you kyle getting to go through the rest of it um for the first time and see how you like it ryan any final thoughts uh just that i would recommend to those who can and would be interested who have kids this is a great read out loud book Mm. to share together um i decided a while ago that as i was practicing and training to try and read audiobooks uh that i would record myself reading some so that my child could have that audio recording that recording of me reading the these books that we read early and uh it's been a really great experience to do that and share that and so i would just say that if you have that opportunity um take it this is a really great series to do that with it's not too tiring it doesn't require too much of you if you want to do some fun things with it there's plenty of fun things to do with it so yeah yeah and if you like the voice you just heard and you're an author then email ryan at the legendarium podcast.com and uh, hire him to read your audiobook. So I'd take it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, we'll call it there for the book of three. Um, yeah, we, we didn't do like a... What is a, the book of three? <laughs> we, we didn't do a plot <laughs> breakdown or anything. Um, but, uh, you know, but I, I feel like we at least have a good handle on who these characters are and what this world is, which is kind of what this book is meant to do. It is a nice self-contained quest. Um, but a lot of a lot of Chekhov's guns are being placed on mantles, and you know we have four more books to to see them go off. So um, <laughs> I just think I don't own a Chekhov's gun, <laughs> let, let alone, alone many <laughs> Chekhov's guns, <laughs> which would necessitate an entire wreck. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, we'll call it there. I hope you all join us for the other books. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you. Like and subscribe. Um, And uh, yeah, see you next time.